and welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hawkins-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. Come and join us as we embark on a fun and educational journey, talking to experts and advocates on subjects that are often taboo. So go and get the kettle on, settle in for a chat and hopefully a lot of laughter along the way. It's the finale of series seven. And this week we talk menopause and migraines with the wonderful Devon-based GP, menopause and migraine specialist, Dr. Rebecca Walker. We find out how a migraine is diagnosed, why might migraines be more prevalent in menopause, the relationship between hormones, migraines, HRT and lifestyle and triggers and more. We also hear from a listener who got in touch with us to raise awareness of a little known government scheme in the UK that provides practical support to disabled and neurodiverse people in work. In the book collective, we announce our new book for series eight. It's very exciting. This month's foodie collective, another I'm very excited about this, is a uh, theme is biscuits. And Lou has been baking. Watch <laughs> out, everybody. I won't get that excited. <laughs> <laughs> Find out how we are getting on with our high Q wi this week and um i have a new one for the summer holidays finally i also have a quote for the week uh, we've had some great comments again lou haven't we oh we certainly have karen arthur our lovely guest last week um she commented she said "Twas a fun chat why did we have to stop we didn't want to stop no, we did didn't we? but no. we were chatting on weren't we i know and the lovely mrs menacors she said the names of the days of the week make more historical sense if you use French, who knew? Mm. She would also like the spelling of Pop Kirtle Lane, as she says, a kirtle, which is how we kirtle is spelled in Pop Kirtle, is a sort of tunic, so it translates to Flasher Mac Alley. Oh, well, that would make sense. Perfect. I She's like, on the ball. She is on the ball. I like the way you say pop kirtle then. You said it in a very dead way. Pop kirtle. Yeah, pop kirtle. Just pop like down kirtle lane. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, not your usual menopause, uh, Rachel says, thank you so much, Lou, Jinty and Karen. I have learned so much listening to this episode. Working in a school is so full on and I can totally relate to almost everything Karen was saying. Uh, what I hadn't really appreciated, though, is how women of colour go through menopause earlier than their white counterparts. Yeah, it's yeah. something we should all re realise Re and yeah. know about, isn't it? Exactly. And the smile starter. Lovely Jill. Jill. Yeah. She said, thoroughly enjoyed my cuppa and some peace mm -hmm. to sit and listen this morning ladies thank you to all three of you although i can't unsee lou's belly button image <laughs> sorry <laughs> that disturbed your morning cuppa really interesting to hear about the diversity in the uk back in the day too brilliant yeah that was our book collective wasn't it yeah and the lovely um sam sam talks sex sam evans says fantastic i love the karen arthur oh so do we and neil your big bro um, he says, Karen was absolutely brilliant, guys. Could have listened to her for another hour. Your chat really made me laugh. How on earth did Lou make the leap from belly button to arsehole uh, so is, quickly? This is how her mind works. I'm never surprised. <laughs> it's in the gutter, Neil. You should know that. 
<laughs> and I'd like to mention, uh, I bumped into somebody this week and um, she's got a 15 year old son and they were on there, the two of them were on their way to Centre Parks on holiday and they were listening to some music or something. And um, she said to her son, oh, do you mind if I listen to, I'm trying to catch up on these podcasts because, mm-hmm. you know, she's a very busy working mum. And um, so he said, no, no, give it a go, you know, and we'll see. Anyway, they listened to one and he enjoyed it listened to another and he enjoyed it and on the way back um there was something on the radio and and he said oh mum can we listen to more more of your podcasts he absolutely loved it and they said the two of them how lovely the two of them together and he's learning about about his you know what's happening to his mum exactly oh i love that she said there's a few times where you know vulva and vagina were were mentioned and you know she had to look over over to him and ask him if he was all right he was absolutely but it's body parts it is body parts and the embarrassment is in us really yeah we don't if you say penis you wouldn't sort of cringe no no Oh, that's fantastic. So we've got that. a well, new, hello. We've got a new teenage teenage fan. We're just down with the kids. Oh, James. we so are. How's your week been, Jins? It's been all right, Lou, actually. <clears throat> I read a quote this week on the BBC website, nothing to do with the fiasco that's going on there with the news readers and presenters. Let them get on with it. We'll let them do their thing. But this is far more important. So we know, and we've discussed it before, Lou, throughout history, women and girls have often been targeted in wartime for violence, especially sexual violence. Um, well, the quote I read was from 90-year-old Maria Quilantang, and she said, we hope to get justice before we die. There's only a few of us left, and we were, we are all in our twilight years. And her story is one we should all know I thought some of you may know it already but um so Maria Quilantang is speaking on behalf of a group of Filipino women who call themselves the Malaya Lolas or the free grandmothers in Filipino and around 20 women in the farm in one village in Mapaniki are Um, among the last survivors in the Philippines of former World War II sex slaves, the so-called comfort women, who were forced into military brothels in South Korea, Philippines, uh, Taiwan, China and Indonesia by the uh, Japanese Imperial Army. Now, as young teens, Lou, they were snatched from their homes, dragged and imprisoned in a blood red house where they were raped repeatedly. Um, They are now in their late 80s and early 90s and continue to fight for a public apology and compensation from uh, from Japan. But what I absolutely loved, and there's always with women, there's always just something beautiful about coming together even with her horrific circumstances isn't there these these women gather um, as they've done for decades and they sing their story and they recount their trauma to those willing I go goosebumps they recount their trauma to those willing to listen hoping they will not be forgotten by the world as as their own memories fade Um, and there were nearly 200,000 in the article you see, it said there were nearly 200,000 women taken as comfort women. But when you read it, they weren't women. No, they were, they children. were children. So please stop that language. This the lovely Maria was eight years old. How does that make a her child. a woman? She's a child. And all these women now, if you look, the oldest um, is early 90s. They were all under 16. They were children. 
And so they were taken as comfort women, mostly Koreans. And in South Korea, there are only nine survivors now. And the last known survivor in Taiwan died in May. Um, and so Maria was eight years old and she was raped in that red house in the middle of a rice field. Up to this day, she said she still gets flat flashbacks uh, when she sees that house from across the highway um, and it's not only the house that is a trigger she says when I see soil drenched in rain I remember the time during captivity when the only source of drinking water was the deep footprints of water buffaloes that plowed in the rice field um, she adds we carry what we carry is quite a burden I had so many dreams when I was a kid when I was a kid um, and yet Maria Kulantan considers herself lucky because she got married to a farmer and raised a family, um, whereas many other Filipino um, sex slaves suffered discrimination in their communities and within their own families. Um, but not only have they been singing for their stories, Lou, for decades, uh, they've been fighting for the, an apology from um, Japan. And another one of um, the Filipino women, Maxima Della uh, Cruz, she's now 94 and bedridden. But she was once a very active campaigner. And she said, I've been to so many protests. I've been to Japan, Hong Kong, even Europe. The lawyers who help us bring us to all these places everything is still clear to me ingrained in my mind even now even though my body is now weak um, and one of the lawyers um, Virginia Suarez um, said this and she means the singing is so liberating for them to tell their story in a song you can't stay quiet when you've suffered what they went through um, <clears throat> that would be an additional torture um, well, it's horrific isn't it really? it, it, it uh, is and, and how how beautiful that they they sing and uh, yeah because it's a re singing as you it's a release anyway isn't it but it's all it's also it's keeping that story yeah. alive yeah and all coming together getting through it together yeah. and maria kualantang um says she will go on fighting saying we are a very close-knit group of friends and we have many people helping us we want justice as long as people invite us we will keep singing it's oh, amazing yeah, and, I, and i hope there's a generation behind them that will keep singing for them uh, yes for I, their memory i hope so too lou so they're, they're the malaya lolas the free grandmothers in in filipino um so yeah that's beautiful. It's, you're telling their story so then our listeners can start telling their story and it just keeps it going yeah it needs to doesn't it yeah um, and a lovely listener this week, um, Mrs. Menacles, um, she sent us um, something she thought we'd be interested in. And we were, weren't we? we were. She sent us a thing. We've never seen it before. The Narcissist Prayer. Um, not sure if anyone is aware of it. She said it's doing the rounds on social media and it's written by a Dana Craig, not Daniel, as, as Lou thought it might have been. <laughs> Dana. And it goes like this. That didn't happen. And if it did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was, that's not a big deal. And if it is, that's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. It really sums oh, up a narcissist, doesn't yes. it? And how um, any of us could be living with a narcissist. Um, remember, we talked to Maddie Anhold, didn't we? And she, and there's a good chapter on narcissists in Maddie's book, How to Leave Your Psychopath. And we spoke to her, if you're interested in that series three, episode 11, about narcissism and coercive control. But basically, if you recognize anything in that poem, you might be 
living with a narcissist. There's overt and covert, um, but their end game is much the same, oh. basically to dominate your life yeah. um, and let, let you know that they can do no wrong. So that's an interesting... Dana, is it Dana, did you say? Dana. Dana, Dana Craig, the narcissist prayer. Um, how did you go? How was your week? Well, after you? we've heard about those fantastic women and you've talked narcissist, I am going to drop the level right down to the gutter. Lighten the mood, Lou. You're going to lighten, lighten the, the mood. Yes. That's that's fine. So have you heard of eargasms? You mentioned it last week. Before then, no. Never. Right. So some people have a happy button in their ear, according oh. to Dr. Karen Karan Raj. She's a TikTok famous doctor who's known for sharing unusual facts and debunking medical myths. So if this happens to you, the doctor says you're having an eargasm. So Dr. Raj went on to explain that not only are eargasms completely real, but that you can always get, you can always, you can also get ear boners. Right? (laughs) Stay with me. Stay with me. And it's not just direct touch that can activate the response. So not when you've got your ear cleaner in. It turns out that some music can get you going as well. Oh. Mm. Is that the vibration? I don't, well, I don't know. Just so the, actual music. the happy button in the ear is a glitch and it's all to do with the vagus nerve, which carries information, touch and sensation and it extends to the ear. For some people, touching or stimulating this results in a cough reaction because your brain confuses the item in your ear with having something stuck in your throat which is oh yes and the inverse can be true too getting an irritated throat can lead to a sore ear but for others the result is a little more sensual so dr raj said that a lucky few experience eargasms for those people stimulating the vagus nerve leads to parasynthetic responses and a calming effect does it sound familiar gents not the ear thing i mean you know you can activate the parasympathetic nervous system by with your breath um you don't have to use an ear ear orgasm but um no i'm while you're and but ear bones what's an ear bone i don't know but she's got a finger in her ear now i know i'm but do you know what they say you know don't put anything in your ear smaller than your elbow so you shouldn't be sticking anything in your ear, whether to clean it out or not. Or get an eargasm. Yeah. Um, so the effect could explain why ears are erogenous zones for so many people. It's very likely that the erectile tissues in your ears engorge the boner, henceforth with oh, the I boner. Oh, I see. Engorge. Yes. So um, touch can sim- stimulate the tissue. But, um but yeah, but music can too. Even humming. Mm-hmm. It's a, it must be the vibration is, is then. Mm-hmm. But humming, because humming, we know humming activates the vagus nerve, yeah. activates the parasympathetic. There's yeah. a lovely breath you can do, breath work you can do. Um, and it does, yeah, activate the parasympathetic. But I would have thought calming is very different than an orgasm, isn't it? It's very interesting. I know. I thought, yeah, I thought we, uh, yeah. I needed to share. Yeah. I once had, I was in a pub once. <laughs> I once <laughs> had a man, a man, right? First of all, it was irritating because he started stroking my hair, which hey. why, a stranger, why, why do that? And so I was talking to some friends and the next thing, my hair was straight and long at the time. And he, he pulled, he was, I told him to stop stroking my hair, please. Thank you very much. Um, and five minutes later, he was back and he tucked my hair behind and blew in my fucking no, ear. No, don't blow yeah, in no. holes. Yeah, no. 
You don't <laughs> blow in holes. Body holes you don't blow I in. I reckon he had eargasms and thought I might quite like it or something. And then it would be blue in it. Oh, it was horrible oh. and beery and smelly. Oh, what th- I mean, oh. what the fuck do they think they're doing I know. these men sometimes? I know. Sorry, 15-year-old listener, but what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, our lovely 15-year-old listener ain't going to go blowing in anybody's ear now. Exactly. Our guest this week is Dr. Rebecca Walker, an experienced GP with expertise in menopause care, migraine and headache medicine. Dr. Walker works as an NHS GP in Devon and is part of a team of specialist GPs at the Exeter Headache Clinic, a national service for people with complex headache conditions. Becky is also a senior clinician with the National Migraine Centre, a specialist charity supporting people with migraine. As if that's not enough, she is also part of the team at Myla Health, who provide individualised private menopause support. Dr. Walker enjoys sharing her learning and teaches on headache medicine and menopause to GPs and to students at Exeter Medical School. She has also written articles on menopause and migraines. Now, we've been fortunate enough to meet Becky several times in the last few months since she's moved to Devon. And what a pleasure it has been. So we asked her to join us on the podcast to talk about migraines and hormones, particularly in menopause. Welcome, Becky. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. I'm very excited to be talking to you about this, these passions of mine. And you know what? It's so nice to see you when we've seen you in the flesh a few times. Yeah. I know. It does make a difference, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And you know, and you, you, we have a mutual friend in the lovely Dr. Katie Monroe, don't we, from the, yes. the, who we spoke to before. I know, and she gave you so much amazing information <laughs> already. Yes, yes, she did. But it's always good, as we said, it's always good to come back to these things, isn't and it? Revisit. And 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 things change as well, don't they, all Absolutely. the time? Things are getting um, updated. Um, yeah. First of all, how are you liking Devon? I'm loving Devon. I've, I mean, it's just been such a wonderful, transition for me and my family you know we've we live in a beautiful part of Devon we've got you know the sea and the river to one side and the moors to the other side I mean what's not to love it's just been amazing oh, and I've wow. met so many amazing people I well, mean the opportunities you like yourselves it's just yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't want to say anything <laughs> oh thank you Becky <laughs> I mean I mean the intro that we did was very work centric but can you give us a bit of a fun fact about yourself so I was thinking about a fact about myself and I was thinking oh I'm a busy working mom of two kids do I is there a big fun about me uh, and I was and I was struggling I think um one of my big passions is open water swimming so I think if I'm not working or if I've got time away from the kids then the wonderful immersive experience that is being away from your phone and any kind of um you know bother is is, is wonderful yeah. and that's, that's my big passion oh no, lovely. That's, that's even lovely. even better yeah. now you've moved to devon then even better yeah, yeah absolutely fantastic um and what made you want to specialize in migraine and hormones becky are, are migraines something that you've experienced yourself so I am um, someone who's, who experiences migraine. I think I had my first attack of migraine. I got the zigzag lights in my vision when I was probably about 
10 or 11 was in my genes. Um, but it wasn't an overwhelming interest of mine to start with. And then I've got quite a neuroscience background. So before I went into general practice, I did other specialities. I did um, and throat uh, surgery, ophthalmology, which is eye, um, eye medicine. And I'd see lots of people come into these urgent care clinics and I'd be saying, well, there's nothing wrong with ears, noses and throats. There's nothing wrong with your eyes. Back you go to your GP to manage what we think is migraine. And then life has a habit of throwing different things into the mix. And I made some career changes and moved into general practice. And so suddenly I was on the other side of the fence. I was seeing all these patients that I'd been shipping back from ophthalmology into general practice for management of their migraine and thinking, oh, I don't think we're managing this very well at all. And that kind of started my journey and my interest in, in becoming a better clinician um, in terms of managing migraine. And then as people started to realize that I was interested in migraine, my colleagues started sending me their migraine patients. And I began to realize that a, a large part of my day was, with, was working with perimenopausal and menopausal women. And so then I thought I need to be managing their hormones mm. better. And so the two have quite very naturally and embryonically developed together. And that just shows what the connection there must be. How, how do you actually diagnose migraine, a migraine? So we, we use the classification system that has various criteria that so you tick the boxes to, to make a diagnosis of migraine and essentially it's a it's a um it's not always a headache but headache is one one symptom of, of migraine that that lasts bet between three hours and three days and has other features with it so you might be you might feel sick you might be sensitive to light and sound you might be movement sensitive um, and it starts to impact on your ability to function so you might want to you might need to take time out of work or go and lie down for a bit so and those are the sort of key diagnostic features of migraine but again working in this field you realize that actually it's an incredibly complex condition of which yeah. there are lots and lots of other symptoms that we need to be aware of yeah and it's not very well researched point. it's a bit like menopause and things it's not very well well it has been researched but there's not enough research it's such a huge spectrum isn't mm. it Jinty, you're absolutely spot on there. So for a long time there's been very little interest in and very little research in migraine that is changing I think there is, um, and certainly with the advance of new migraine-specific treatments that we've seen in the last um, decade or so, that there is increasing interest and increasing an awareness, which is brilliant. Yeah, it is good because, it, you know, people just, think, I think, again, a lot along with women, we've spoken about it before, we tend to put up with things a lot, don't we? Oh, it's just a headache. It's just a headache. Um, and talking about women, so migraines, we know migraines affect adult women three times more often than men. Um, do we know how much of this is down to genetics and how much might be our hormones? So it's going to be both in as a short answer to that question. I, I think if you um, eight out of 10 times uh, who experiences migraine will have a family history of migraines. So it's always worth when we try and delve back deeper into their medical background mm. and their family history and I think that comes back to something that you you said a moment ago about you know it's just not recognized or it is stigmatized as, as just a headache and, and we know that it's this complex condition with lots of neurological symptoms of which you might have um, a day or two of feeling irritable and um, you know tired before you actually get the impact symptoms like headache and sickness and then you have this sort of recovery phase where you equally might feel tired and not functioning at your best so it, it's not just a headache and it can have a, an, an impact far reaching beyond the headache and the sickness 
Um, know that it's a common condition. It happens in about one in seven adults. And, and you're right that it's much more common in, in women. It's more common than diabetes. So one in 10 wow. UK adults have diabetes. Seven have, have migraines and often unrecognized. So genes have a huge um, in setting the threshold, as it were, at which that migraine threshold can vary from person to person. It can vary from family member to family member. So the way mum and mum might have experienced migraine might be very different. From someone else experiences migraine. But then in women, we know that our changing hormonal landscape, which happens on a monthly basis during our reproductive years and then happens on a mad roller coaster. Uh, kind of way in the perimenopause has a big influence in terms of where it pushes us next to our migraine threshold Mm. yeah I I think that's that's so interesting because I think for people that might be just only just now recognizing but bit like me actually um we'll come to me in a minute it's all about me um recognizing that they probably may have um always had migraines but not because they haven't had a um I know my sister used to have to take to bed for three days without light she was you know and so that's I just presumed because that's what she had that that's what a migraine was but it's so varied isn't it so varied yes so her experience is different my sister similarly has had maybe one or two uh, um, migraine attacks but not not the same experience as 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 I have had so yes the way it varies from person to person and the way these genes are passed on and the way certain genes are more dominant in in certain people it's I mean it is so complicated yeah and and fascinating Oh, it must be fascinating. And also what people have been through, you know, what you, your lifestyle yeah. and things, obviously we'll talk about that in a minute. That has obviously has, a, has an effect to why somebody might get a different migraine to somebody else. So, yeah, I was going to say that because the British Menopause Society said that fluctuation estrogen levels and menstrual disorders are associated with an increase of migraine prevalence during the perimenopause. So do do we actually know why that is? Is that is that all to do with the, the fluctuations? So we we believe or the current um, um, thinking is that that a migraine attack is triggered. I think it, it, it's important to think about migraine as being um, uh, something that's happening in response to a changing environment rather than an absolute level of something. Right. And so in, in the perimenopause, when our estrogen levels are, are rising and falling and, and the change in balance between our levels of progesterone and estrogen uh, are changing, we believe that that it's this this decline in estrogen that that triggers the change either the the nature of a migraine attack um or or the or the duration and intensity and severity of the attack so in the perimenopause it's really common to see this evolution of migraine so when we're thinking about migraine um we talk about migraine as being episodic which means you get an attack brain that sort of starts and stops and then um uh, and then you're well in between so it's it's not really a problem uh, through to what's migraine when you're getting more migraine days each month than not um and that's when it can really start to impact on on well-being and work and 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 relationships perimenopause there there is this really common shift from migraine that's sort of come and gone and finished and and you've been able to get on just fine in between into these these might start coming quite regularly around the time of your period you may have been somebody who's always experienced aura and then these these attacks that are coming around your period you may not have aura you may but they tend to be longer lasting so rather than a day of headache have two or three days of headache the pain might be more severe it might not respond as well to medicines that have previously worked wonders for you Mm -hmm. um 
And then what happens is not only you're getting these longer lasting attacks, but the time in between your attacks of migraine starts to get shorter and shorter. So you don't quite ever get to the point where you recover fully yeah. and, and so on and so forth. And then suddenly these symptoms start to dominate. And then if you throw all that in on top of perimenopausal symptoms of yeah. low energy, it, it becomes this kind of storm of yeah. horribleness. Yeah. They're very debilitating, aren't they? If you really get in them, and if you've got no space or hardly any space in between to actually do all the things you need to do and work, I mean, work must become very difficult. Um, you've you've struggled. I have, yeah, you, yeah, I have struggled, and you know, in some days it is a complete struggle. You know, I have managed to get into work with with all of mine so far, but um, it is it is a huge struggle, and it, it really makes you feel really poorly really and I think and I think Lou what also happens then is that people who experience migraine kind of constantly feel like they're on the back foot and they're playing catch-up which has a layer of stress stress makes migraine worse and so it is this just really rapidly vicious cycle that that, that spirals and and we know that women going through the in their perimenopausal years are often juggling work families their children aging parents they're trying to be a partner and and so it can be a really really challenging time yeah literally you're spinning all your plates aren't you yeah and everything even the things you enjoy I'd imagine Mm. you don't enjoy anymore because you've got this constant yeah sort of feeling um I know the next question Lou Lou wanted to um ask because I don't know if your if your headaches changed in menopause post because Lou's post Post, menopause it's quite interesting have they have they yeah I I mean it feels like I'm getting them almost monthly can can they be sick cyclical cyclical that's that's the word I was looking <laughs> in for postmenopausally um yeah. that's a really interesting question because in theory no because you're no longer <laughs> having a, a regular menstrual cycle but we know that hot flushes and other symptoms carry on well beyond the last period so but whether they're happening cyclically or not again it's difficult to say I do wonder whether there's also this sort of almost kind of learn behavior that that happens within our brains so much as Mm. you know when you kind of you get used to waking up at the same time every day of the of the the week irrespective of how much sleep you've had similarly do our bodies and brains just get used to this pattern or learned pattern of 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 having symptoms so it's an interesting one yeah and obviously like say some research probably needed into that at at some stage when they yes yeah when they can yeah (laughs) we do find that the more you start asking questions the more questions you find and the more answers you want I find the more you the more I think I know the more I realize I don't Don't know know. you know it's amazing isn't it once you start going into these things um but when when we met um one of the first times we met I I described to you a few dizzy spells um and nausea that I had developed in perimenopause um and anecdotally people we speak to this seems to be quite common and um, we tend to think I just thought it was a bit of uh, vertigo um, but you yeah. mentioned that it might be vestibular migraine um, can you explain a bit more about um, what a vestibular migraine is? So essentially vestibular migraine is what we call a variant of I call it a, a dizzy migraine so you have um, a headache may or may not be a symptom but but um, a feeling of being unbalanced or, or vertigo is often the symptom and it might be vertigo that lasts five minutes to again up to sort of three days um but is usually associated with other other migraine type symptoms so so 
nausea, sensitivity to light and sound and movement. Um, as I said, it might be that there's a sort of dull, foggy headed or, or, or a headache in the background, but because it's not the most symptom, it may not always, always register. Uh, so those are the sorts of symptoms uh, that you would tick on the classification systems, but there are lots of others that we know are important. So it might be a heightened sensitivity to smell or feeling exquisitely sensitive to, to touch. Um, so yeah, there are lots of items. Um, but it's important to recognize it. So for a lot of women, they can be very like the episodic migraine. They kind of come and go and you don't have many for many years. But again, much like with migraine, the sort of the headachey type of migraine transforming into a chronic migraine. So I see look after a lot of women who go through this transformation, occasional dizzy periods into really persistent and quite disabling dizziness. Yeah, some people I know that they just, you know, they just can't move. They can't, well, I, the couple of episodes I've had, I couldn't get off. I had to crawl to the sofa and I yeah. couldn't get off them because the, every time I even moved my head slightly one way or the other, I was sick. I either was sick or felt vertigo, sick. isn't it? It, it did. Yeah. That's what I always, you know, uh, presumed it was, but yeah. And, um, yeah. And I think that these episodes of misdiagnosed as labyrinthitis and actually when you start unpicking it, so just thinking about you, you know, I've already heard your sister has migraine, so it's in the genes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I've certainly had women who come to me and say, well, well, I only had like it was where well, I had a few zigzaggy lights and a bit of a headache. But, you know, I went to bed and it was fine and, you know, dismissed it into the past. And then in the yeah. perimenopause and suddenly they start getting these episodes of vertigo. And so actually this really helps to, to make the diagnosis and making the diagnosis is really important because it really then impacts treatments that we advise on and choose and the guidance that we give. Yeah, because yeah. obviously the treatment for migraine is going to be different than the treatment for something like labyrinthitis, yeah. isn't it? Yes, yeah, it comes down. And, and then the lifestyle stuff becomes really important and the, yeah. the, the, the treatments that you use to prevent yeah. the condition become really important. It's a bit yeah. like your, your job is a bit like a being a detective, isn't it? Because you start, you yeah. start, and do you, have you found this? Yeah, oh yeah, I did get, I used to get headaches when I was, you know, and, and then I, oh yeah, they did make me feel a bit sick. Yeah, and then my mum had but, them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Putting all these yeah. pieces yeah. together that we that we don't we don't think again again it's all these sort of myths around migraine aren't they mm. that they are a certain way that we, yeah. we need to kind of get rid of really absolutely absolutely so do different types of hrt um like transdermal or oral synthetic or body identical um do they affect different types of migraine do we know do we know has there been research becky so there we do um so Good. they <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about so um the hormones that sort of I prescribe, they're all body identical, which means that they have the same molecular structure as the hormones that our bodies produce. The difference or um, the, the term bioidentical has been adopted as a sort of marketing term for HRT regimes that are made up by compounding pharmacies. And the, uh, certainly I'm um, a member of the British Menopause Society, and, and we tend to avoid preparations like that because we don't fully know what's in them. We don't know whether they're safe enough really for women. So we use body identical preparations um, from regulated pharmaceuticals in terms of looking after women with migraine in there and 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 hrt uh, i do see a lot of women who come to me and say well i was told i had migraine with aura so my I, I was told i couldn't have hrt and and that is certainly a myth there is wow. i've read that so many yes. times yeah okay <laughs> But we need to be having a proper um, discussion about which type of HRT is sensible and um, uh, and best in the in those contexts. So for women who have aura, the worry is that certainly if you take estrogen by mouth, the way that the liver metabolizes estrogen can make the blood a bit stickier. And so women with migraine with aura have a 
increased risk of strokes. So we want to do everything we can to avoid causing any problems or women at an increased risk of harm. That risk is removed when you give oestrogen to the skin. So it's safe to give women with aura oestrogen via the skin. So you can, and you could choose any of the transdermal preparations, so be it the gel or the spray or the patches. However, preferentially, grain medicine, we tend to prefer the patches because they give the smoothest, most uniform delivery of oestrogen. And that's what migrainy brains are craving. It's craving a constant routine environment where everything is nice and stable, and that's best delivered by the patch. Um, but the patches with everyone and I'm sure you've spoken to women who've struggled with the patches they can cause irritation in the skin uh, they can peel off you know if you're a keen swimmer and you're in the pool all the time then they just can, can get a bit soggy so again it's about trying to work with whoever's whoever you're with um, to find the best treatment for them yeah you can get lots there are quite a few different patches um around but yeah. obviously we've had do have a shortage of a couple of them at, at the moment but um yeah just because one it might be a different glue or something mightn't it it's Absolutely. always worth trying it worth trying a different one what about lifestyle um we know you know we're always again we're always fed the don't have chocolate or coffee yeah they're <laughs> um, the two, they're the two they? obvious yeah. ones um yeah. but what about i mean because in perimenopause we know that it's a transitional time and we need to make some changes in our lives anyway but is there anything sort of um specific uh, to migraine sort of we can do in our lifestyle um and, and triggers um and also med any other medication other than hrt so um getting the hormones nice and stable and that's not just estrogen but it's project the progestogen as well if you have a womb and you, you need the progesterone that's important um uh, but as we've talked about earlier it's only one part of the jigsaw puzzle and for a lot of women they will need additional support or additional um uh, interventions and what i find with migraine medicine is that it is this sort of really holistic approach to look at your well-being that really gives women the best chance of, of getting on top of on top of migraine so lifestyle is really key as we've alluded to you know this internal and external environment is stable and routine is is mm. good so nice regular sleep hours um keeping hydration status is really important so keeping up with your fluids um throughout the day rather than sort of playing catch up is really important um eating regularly so eating a healthy balanced diet small meals and often often low glycemic index foods are, are really important so you've got these slow release sugars throughout the day so that you're avoiding these big peaks and peaks and troughs are all again really important for for migraine um managing stress you know that's the hardest one isn't it to manage, yeah. manage the impact of yeah. stress um the the caffeine is an interesting one because i look after a lot of people who find that actually um uh, coffee in the morning is really important for their migraine control and they find it really beneficial for, for for helping migraine so i think it's about balance and it's about you know avoiding excess um uh, where possible so caffeine can be helpful for some people certainly vestibular migraine though we tend to say cut out all caffeine um the chocolate thing is also a really interesting one because um as our understanding of what's happening during an attack of migraine has evolved to incorporate this what we call prodromal or ramping up phase of migraine that this is happening in the two or three days before you start getting sick and aura and headache um that actually sugar cravings are a really 
common symptom and that's what's driving the wanting to oh. eat sugar that's your brain saying wow. i need sugar yeah. and and but then people sort of misinterpret that as being well i had some chocolate on friday and then i got my migraine on saturday morning as being sort of cause and effect whereas actually the chocolate was pro- probably your brain saying my yeah migraine building wow. Give me some sugar. Was, yeah the so, migraine yeah. was already already it's, on its, its way it was coming the migraine was so all, yeah was by coming. the time you've got a headache <laughs> you've got to look kind of two or three days before so, that by the time you've got those prodrome all those warning symptoms the migraine machinery yeah. is already kind of yeah. ramping up so that's why headache diaries can be I mean they they can be quite laborious and obviously fitting something else into a busy work busy life is is really difficult but they can be really helpful just to pick yeah. up on those really subtle symptoms because again it can help you get in with treatment at an earlier earlier stage yeah that I mean oh gosh so many light bulb moments because mm. that would make sense with all the people that I've spoken to with the medication that they take they say it only works if they take it right when they first get an inkling like a little yeah. kind of flickering or an inkling of the headache of course it's well under uh, well underway. underway isn't it by then absolutely and so for a lot of the time and so I do see people who you know they're day four or five into their headache and and sometimes you know it is just a question of, of, of riding it out there isn't anything that's going to you know magically switch off um that uh, migraine attack wow and the other light bulb thing for me is basically from everything you've said is consistency isn't it and yeah. you know which our lives aren't really yeah. are they <laughs> but um, yeah, especially in menopause super hard to do that isn't it <laughs> yeah so yeah. I suppose if you can keep externally everything fairly on an even keel as much as you can um yeah. I think what I what I find is that for for a lot of people, so you know, a migraine, you know, condition like asthma is something that can be sort of stable and then and then unstable, and you're going to need to put in a lot of work to kind of keep things keep the status quo, as it were. And then other times you might, when things are better and you're going through a better patch, a little bit more room room for manoeuvre and, and say, well, my migraine's stable, so now I can push the boundaries a bit more. You know, I can I cycled to a lunch the other day and I had a glass of prosecco and and I didn't get a migraine. It was amazing. You know, so. yeah. <laughs> you mentioned prosecco there what what about alcohol it can um, obviously it can be a trigger I mean it's a trigger for most things it's not good for us is it really <laughs> no, I think there's sort of we, we talk mentioned about oh, the the upper limit or the safe upper limit there isn't really any safe limit of, of alcohol and, and can be a trigger you know it's 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 dehydrating it interrupts your sleep which are yeah. all big triggers for for migraine yeah. so you know it's it's not just the alcohol it's the impact of the alcohol on our other functions as well yeah that disrupts that disrupts that equilibrium doesn't it so is there anything else that we need to talk about with migraines and hormones anything we've missed out becky well i'm um really passionate again about trying to raise awareness of is 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 coming back to that kind of transition that happens in my in in the the nature and the symptom in in the perimenopause you know that that you start to get the sort of brain fog there's these prodromal symptoms start to become more impactful the, the the attacks start to last longer and as a result of that women often find themselves reaching for painkillers to treat headache frequently and it can reach a point where the painkillers actually start to become part of the headache problem and we uh, the class the system the classification systems we use use the term medication overuse headache which is not a particularly nice term I don't think any of us like using it but again for reasons we don't fully understand the brain starts to sort of reinterpret the way it sees and analyzes pain signals so and you kind of get this other layer of headache to complicate 
the already complicated picture of, of wow. migraine and perimenopause. And so I think it's really important that if women find that they're starting to take painkillers on a regular basis to treat headache, they probably have migraine. They need to see a migraine specialist so that we can work together to try and find ways to reduce the impact of the condition and to keep medication at a safe level. So the sort of warning signs, you know, if you're using medication more than twice a week for headache or more than 10 times a month, then help is needed. Yeah, when you say that, you think, oh, that that doesn't actually sound that much, does it? But it is a lot, isn't it? 10 times a month. Yeah, it mounts up, doesn't it? It mounts up. And, and it's, it's something that you don't, maybe people don't even realize they're doing, mm. you know, do you just no. do it to get through the day and so, um, yeah, pop a couple of ibuprofen or whatever, you know, whatever you're taking. Paracetamol, but, it's yeah. so cheap as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what about when talking about medication, has medication changed um, very much? I know when we spoke to Katie, it's changed. We got lots of people saying to us, my gosh, I've been on the wrong medication for yeah. years. Um, yeah. So is that, has that changed a lot? So again, coming back to this idea of not enough research in this field of medicine for a very long time, so for, for many years, and certainly, you know, GPs and neurologists, the, the, the medicines that we have access to first line are all medicines that have been designed for use in other conditions, and we've kind of stumbled upon them accidentally for use in migraine. So there'll be medicines that are used for blood pressure, or epilepsy, or anxiety and depression, and then people who've been taking them for those conditions have found they've got their migraines got better mm-hmm. and so that's formed the basis for their use but they often come with really unpleasant side effects and certainly generally women that I look after for the most part have low blood pressure and then you start giving them blood pressure med- medicines and they end up on the floor you know so mm-hmm. um it's so it's really difficult um however um, there, there has been this uh, recent advance in migraine treatment and we do have migraine specific medicines available now these are called anti-CGRP medicines, um, which stands for calcitonin gene-related peptide, just for a load of medical (laughs) words uh, to confuse everyone. Um, And they work on uh, this CGRP protein, which is important in triggering migraine. And they can be life-changing they don't work for everyone as we've hopefully made clear migraine is a really complex condition but you know six out of seven people who get on these medicines find that they significantly improve the condition and get them back to living get them back to functioning restore the effectiveness of of other medicines and they seem to be really well tolerated. the downside is that they're new so they're really expensive so you have to jump through certain hoops to to get them to them on the national health service you know in case something more affordable along the way works well there is stuff out there and with those medications are they the sort of thing you need to take all the time or you take at the beginning of a mic you only take when you have an episode it's a good question so there are there are there are two kind of different types the anti-antibodies are um are a a regular treatment so it's an injection and again because they're new so they've only been around for less than 10 years so we don't have long-term data on their safety but pretty good robust evidence for their for their effectiveness and um, they do seem to be very well tolerated so they're taken on a month basis at the moment we advise people to use them for a year and then to review their progress within an nhs likely to be it's likely to be suggested that they come off and review their migraine at that point um and then there's another type which is a small molecule seal that that can be used to treat an acute attack of migraine mm-hmm. so yes there are different um cgrp medicines for different migraine yeah. scenarios 
But that's six out of seven. That's great, though, isn't it? That's yeah. quite a good number. Ten. Sorry if I said it. It's a six out of six ten. Out of um, ten. Six yeah. or seven out of ten. Yes, it's yeah. still a, it is still a good number. And compared to the medicines, it is, um, yeah. which uh, they are much more effective in managing migraine because they are migraine specific. Yeah, which is great. So at some point, and I think it's Katie's, Katie Munro's lifelong ambition to, you know, and all of us actually at the National Migraine Centre, you know, to, that, that these medicines become first line therapy for people yeah. who experience migraine. I mean, that's yeah. the that's the dream. Yeah, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? And just quickly before you go, um, Becky, what you just mentioned the National Migraine Centre. So this is a charity. Um, yes. So, so any, anyone that's really struggling that, that's not getting what they need um, f- from their GP, could they ring up or email you? or you Absolutely. Know, so there, there's, if they just Google the National Migraine Centre, there's, there's, there's a whole host of information. There's um, advice on um, appointments on how to book an appointment uh, to see a headache specialist. And because um, we work remotely, so we can see people from all over the country um, uh, via the, via the centre. So yeah, just fantastic. And National yeah. Migraine Centre. And, and Dr. Katie Munro has a really good podcast, doesn't she? If you want to know, you know, yeah. some real, re- go, if you want to go really up. deep called Heads Up, yes. that's, if you want to go even deeper into migraine, um, have a listen to that. That's fantastic. Lots of information. I've written to... lots of notes. Have you? He always <laughs> writes lots of notes. <laughs> and then sorry, she doesn't ladies, understand I can... them. <laughs> and then I, I go, go what go off on one? I've <laughs> just written. Oh, it's great that you go off on one. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, we love it's, it. Yeah, I think it's good to to have that passion, isn't it, about about something, especially when you can see um, the need is there for one thing. People need help, yep. don't they? And yep. Yep. and there is help. And you, there is help. Yeah. But there aren't enough of people of clinicians like myself. But I think that is changing. I think much like the menopause conversation, I think the migraine conversation is is is, is evolving too. And I think for women who are experiencing migraine who haven't necessarily found that the that the hrt to that to stabilize their hormones has been the answer there is a there is so much more that can be offered on top yeah. of hormones to, to yeah. treat and, and support um migraine yeah that's good to know because there yeah. there's a lot of people that can't take uh, or use hrt um i just had you know uh, i think we need to get um m&m involved m&m, you know, M&M migraines and menopause if he yeah. could do a little rap Oh, for us, M&M. Yes. M&M. Yeah. yeah, not M&M. I not the, the chocolate. Yeah, of course, I was thinking no, of the Yeah, sweets. you think the sweets. I think the music. <laughs> I think so. M&M. You know, if anyone knows him and he wants to do us a little rap, yeah, yeah, get in, get in touch get, with them. Um, with with Becky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing. There we go. Um, we'll get it on the map. Uh, Becky, thank you so much. Thank you. It's so nice to see you again. It's been ages. I know. At least two weeks. Two weeks. A couple of weeks. <laughs> Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you much. I mean, yeah, it has been such a pleasure. I'm just so grateful to you guys for, you know, helping us get the these these messages out there. I mean, you know, it's it's wonderful. It's it's important. It's important. There's so many people that you know that 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 do suffer with them. So it's really important to get information. Yeah. Yeah. So until we meet for a walk along the beach again and a coffee, um, we shall let you get back to work. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. We have a new book for next series, don't we? We do have a new book and it's one you might have heard us talking about before because we chatted to the author last no, this series was it this, this series? series it was near the beginning. Gosh, it seemed it Where seems it twelve go? moons ago, doesn't it? It does, but it wasn't quite. So twelve moons is our book for next series. Um we chose this Lou because we 
we loved reading. He read it very quickly because we were interviewing the lovely Caro Giles. And we both wanted to go back and really digest it, didn't we? We did. We did because there's so much in there. And also beautiful. after interviewing Caro, we got a lot of love, didn't we? We did. Um, A lot of people going through similar kind of things, you know, and it's just a beautiful, she writes in a very poetic, it's a beautiful way of writing. Yeah, she does. And I think we've had a bit of a heavy one this series. We're going for something that I think will resonate with many people. It's very beautiful. It brings nature and life all together really it does and it's a perfect combination not usually I don't like I don't like fiction as much I'm a fact kind of person and you're the opposite you like fiction this kind of almost bridges that gap it's it's, it's like a memoir it's a me- it is a memoir it's how she she describes it isn't yeah it? yeah yeah we think you'll we think you'll like it don't we we do and we, we love Caro as and well, we love Caro we? so what's not to love it, so. exactly We'll, we'll put a little thing out on the old gram. We will. And she might come on um, sometime next season and, and have, have a, a little chat. chat with us. Yeah. Great. So, yeah, we'll put that, as Lou said. I'm just repeating what Lou said. Because I obviously, say it all. She says know? it all, but I say it better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Twelve Moons uh, by Caro Giles. So... Lou, uh, listened to my hinting about uh, baking, didn't you, Lou? Did. And I didn't make any biscuits at all this week. I did make, however, I did make a lovely rhubarb crumble, but sorry, I haven't got that for today. I nearly made that today. How funny. Yeah. Bloody love rhubarb, do you? Oh, I love it. Oh. We've had a glut. We have had a glut of rubes. Mm. Yeah. Who else likes rubes? We loves it. Anyway, we're not doing. We're not talking no, about we're not. rhubarb crumble. Don't take away my no, masterpiece. We are talking about this beautiful thing I have before me. What have you made for us, Lou? So I have made um, classic shortbread from the Sainsbury's and magazine online. Um, there, I no idea what it tastes like because I had a. Oh my god! Because I had a little <laughs> bit of a. Well, I cooked a roast yesterday. Then I thought, well, this needs to go in the oven. I'm not even going to look at her because this <laughs> needs to go in the oven 55 minutes on a lower setting. So, <laughs> so I thought, I'll do my roast. And then once I finish my roast, turn the oven down, put it in. Did that. Um, by this stage, then, you know, roast had been eaten, cleared away. I was sat on the sofa full of two wines, two red glasses of red wine, short bread was in said oven and I had a got into watching some on Netflix and had a slight snooze and instead of 55 minutes it was in for an hour and a half (laughs) and um I think it might be a bit dry it is vegan and I made it mm, vegan for Jim well done right Uh, I'll um, start with the flavor lovely is it all right the flavor have you got any saliva left in your mouth I have no saliva (laughs) it's like (laughs) If I put a natural sponge in my mouth or a Tampax. <laughs> I'm going to try it. It's oh, a Jesus lovely flavour. <laughs> the flavour's good, isn't it? Mm. But you can't speak. I was thinking, God, keep speaking, Lou. Keep speaking because I can't actually. I can't actually speak until I've what? chewed it up into a little ball. It's lovely, but you need a good glass of water, a nice mm. coffee. I've just made a coffee, luckily. So this recipe, if cooked correctly, I'm sure would be delightful. Unless you do it like I have and like Jin said, I had a very stress-free cooking experience. 
Um, well, yeah, I, I said to Lou, I think, you know, at least you know, I hope you weren't, you know, didn't feel under too much stress as I almost forced you to do a do um, a foodie. Yeah. <laughs> after she said she was, you know, asleep on the sofa after two glasses of wine, obviously. It's a stress-free, <laughs> stress-free baking, a la Delia Smith. Uh, yeah, so it was um, uh, soft butter, which I obviously used um, vegan, vegan spread. So um, cast sugar plain flour, corn flour, and some sea salt. So it's a really simple recipe. I nearly threw a load of, um, which probably I should have done. Water in it? (laughs) Milk? (laughs) No, I was going to put, because I stewed my rhubarb, and I was going to throw some Mm. rhubarb in. Oh, yeah. But that would have kept the moisture levels. (laughs) Um, So, yes, the mine's a bit dry because it was overcooked by um, half an hour. But But the flavour's nice. But the flavour is nice. So I would say, actually, if I'd done it correctly, we would have had a flavoursome meal. I tell you what to do. If you can't eat the rest of that shortbread, you make a rhubarb crumble and you crumble that all over the top. Oh, she's on it. Perfect. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't waste it. Don't waste it. Steve can take it into work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Along with three gallons of water (laughs) for everybody. They'll be as dry as old (laughs) what's-its, won't they? Why can't they make it? Dry as old sandpaper they'll all be in his office. Dry as a chip. <laughs> so if we have not got yet a theme for next series foodie which is so, starts in september so it's going to be going into the autumn it will be, <gasps> could be Ooh, soups could be soups Ooh, yeah if anyone's got a better idea let us know if you've got a better idea than another soups, bit. Hang on, let us know taking the saliva Hang on. she won't be able to talk for about five minutes so yeah if you've got any ideas um let us know we'd love to hear them She can't speak. (laughs) Last week, we had a message from someone that piqued our interest immediately. Part of the message read, I thought I'd reach out as this might be of use to some of your neurodiverse listeners. I would love to spread the word um, and awareness about access to work funding. Uh, The message was from Lorraine, an experienced freelance virtual assistant in Bristol I think Lorraine are you in Bristol? I am in Bristol just on the outskirts yeah fantastic Uh, she went on to tell us about um, um, a government scheme in the UK that provides practical support to disabled and neurodiverse people now we've never heard of this uh, scheme um, and we didn't know whether you had also so Lorraine told us it's not widely advertised Um, so she's we asked her to join us today to tell us more welcome Lorraine Hi, Jinty, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having this chat no with us. No problem, no um, problem at all. Well, we, I know your time is precious, so I shall just crack on. Um, we're going to have a longer chat, aren't we? You've kindly said you'll come on um, next series um, and tell us about a bit more about how you help um, diverse uh, business owners um, who might be struggling and feeling overwhelmed. But we thought the information about the access to work scheme was too important to wait. We can't wait. We just can't wait until then. Oh, you just want to know more. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Lorraine, can you tell us what it is, who can get it, and how it can help folks, please? Sure, sure. So, like you, I didn't know much about access to work until probably about a year ago, um when somebody reached out to me obviously being a a VA I help business owners with their admin marketing um and various things obviously depending on what the the business needs and last year I had a message from a really lovely lady on LinkedIn saying that she had access to work government funding 
um, as she was neurodiverse, ADHD, and she's dyslexic, and she wanted a VA to help her, um, which is great, which is absolutely great. And since then, it's kind of snowballed, and I now publicise that I help people that are neurodiverse and on the Access to Work government scheme, so they contact me and I can obviously help them as well. So what it is... Um, it's first of all, I don't assess and I can't diagnose that has to be done separately. Yeah. However, um, once you have that diagnosis, um, you can go on to you can just type into Google access to work and there's um, you can apply online and to see whether you're accessible, whether you're, you're allowed the grant. It's for anybody over 16 um that are so it's in the uk england scotland wales that apparently there's a different scheme in northern ireland mm -hmm. um and it's basically a scheme that provides funding for a support worker in my case i help like i said business owners with that admin marketing um also it can provide um specialist equipment so ipads um laptops and also travel expenses. Now it's not just for neurodiverse, it's for people with disabilities. So people that are of hard of hearing, partially sighted, um, various disabilities, and also people that struggle with mental health um, and also diabetics. So there's a wide, wow. wide yeah, area of people with various health conditions. Um, so yeah, it's the, the funding, it, it, there is quite a lot that you're allowed, um, but that obviously has to be assessed on an individual basis. Um, but once you've received that funding, then like you can the VA or a coach, especially diversity. Also within employment, if you want some help with job interviews, um, getting organised, the whole point of getting in touch with you is to raise awareness and say yeah. to people, go, go and apply because actually so many people are entitled to things yeah. that they don't know, yeah. you know, and they don't know. They miss the boat, they miss opportunities, or they continue to struggle yeah. when they don't need to struggle. No, exactly. So, and it's not just for business owners or people running their own business, anybody, anybody in work. Um, yeah. That, yeah, I, just think well there's so much to discuss there but we'll we'll we're gonna we'll run out of time so we'll I think you've answered all our questions for now oh, um you. can you just remind us how we go about it if you just google it basically you google it and just apply just google just type in access to work government yeah. scheme it pops up on the first page of google and then you just click on and then you just sure it just says apply if you feel that you probably are you are neurodiverse or what have you, but you haven't actually been diagnosed, yeah. but you believe you are, you can still go through the assessment and um, there's a process. It is quite a long winded process and yeah. I do help people that need a bit of support with that. So if, again, because people that have challenges find all of that overwhelming in itself, you know, but once yeah. it's in place, it's really smooth running and, and you get the funding, it's regular. And and once you get the funding, I believe you only need to reapply every three years. Thank um, you. Thank you so much for no explaining that. It's fantastic. And uh, we look forward to um, welcoming you back next, se next season. Absolutely. I look forward to it as well. Thanks, Lorraine.
Well, I think that information is so needed and we we didn't know about it. Didn't have a clue. No. How many other things are out there? Well, plenty, plenty yeah. that they don't like to shout about. So that yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks to Lorraine for that. Yeah. Um, WI, Lou. Yes. So, so you set us a lovely a haiku. How did you get? We've had one in from our one of our listeners, which oh, we'll should, read out. Yeah, should we, should we read out? Um, should we read that out one so first? So it was from Rachel, not your usual menopause. So Rachel had she had a couple, so we've chosen one. So not a single flush, not your usual menopause, not a fuck given. I love brilliant, that. brilliant. <laughs> she gets in her Instagram handle there yeah, as well. She does. That's yeah, fantastic. That's I love that it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing this. Good. It's a but it's quite good in menopause because it makes you use your brain. It does. And you're thinking, you're think. counting. You're counting. Doing some math. Yeah. And English with the syllables. Exactly. It's always it's a really combination. Good. All and those functional skills. I know. And it, and it made me look at other haikus. And they're really quite interesting to read, aren't they? And it's enough to rhyme. So you no. don't have to give a shit no. about that. And um, Oscar helped me with mine, actually. Oh. Yeah. So that was good. Do you so, want me yes, to go I, first? I'm, I'm braced. Okay, so this is my menopause haiku. It's just called simply menopause. Okay. Try to find the words, never there when you need them. Rage, my hormones gone. Oh, oh, that's good. It's quite powerful, I thought, I isn't think it's it? it's very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, you can't use it without asking permission. <laughs> I'll be hashtag unknown. <laughs> How about yours, Lou? So I actually didn't finish mine till this morning. <laughs> 52 symptoms, losing sight of who I am, menopause, rebirth. <gasps> you see, we're natural at A this. Bloody clever, isn't it? Yeah, dead mates do haikus. Uh, oh, we can, yeah. oh, I can feel a TV series We don't do on. high fives, we do haikus. Brilliant. Well, we think we are. I don't know. Yeah. You might think they're crap. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah, and please, Let... even over the summer, send yeah. them in. Yeah. Or voicemail us with them. Yeah. He loves it. We do loves it. Likes a little limerick too, occasionally. Oh. So feel free to send them a limerick. And 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 you have a talking of limericks and, and everything. You have a quote. I do. To close us well, with. I have a new WI first. Of oh all, my Lou. goodness, oh, my goodness! I'm sh- reading here and I've I've got a list and I can't even read my bloody list. She's so excited. She's Sight. so excited. It's that shortbread. It's a sugar rush from the shortbread. I have a new WI for the summer holidays, Lou. Okay, it's not difficult. It should be oh, quite a nice I've got one. To write it down. So we've all heard of a bucket list mm-hmm. don't know if you've got one i have yeah some people have them mentally some people write them down but have you heard of a pocket list i thought you were going to say a pocket list a pocket yeah list. we've all got pocket lists by the time you get to menopause as well <laughs> but have you got a pocket list i do not because i don't know what one is okay well elizabeth day she is the author of how to fail which is a book um she is a fan of the pocket list and she says i'm inspired by the idea of embracing the smaller wins for a year it's important to connect with ourselves so that we understand our purpose um trying something new really helps us get to the bottom of that and to discover how we are who we are now trying something new lou that's what the wi is all about as we know so i want you and our listeners, I would like you, I invite you 
to create a pocket list for August uh, while we're not recording. Um, it can be anything that's not going to be too costly or unachievable for you. Um, just make sure that you're breaking up the routine of everyday life now and then with fun trips, maybe experiences, going unplugged, um, visiting friends you haven't seen for a while. Not having milk Go in your tea. Yes, that would be different for you, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Going on an open top bus. Oh, yeah, especially all the rain we've had. That sandy bay <coughs> oh, that bus would be round fun. here. Maybe naked swimming, whatever takes your Ooh, fancy. Um, so what I thought I'd do with you, Lou, if it's oh, okay, yes. I'm going to ask you for the for a, to write a list in the next few days and, and you so you can give it to me. Yeah. And I'll give you mine. Yeah. You can always add to it. Um, and then we can see how we've done in, in series eight in September, only because I do know what she's you're like. And she's likely, she's likely the day before we record, say, what have I done over the summer? Okay, that oh, I've done that. That was on my list. And you'll just <laughs> pretend and you'll just write down the things that you've done. I know. I was going to do that. But we all know been... about manifest manifesting and manifest. things. I love a bit of manifesting. Yes. So fantastic. Po pocket list. I want it by the weekend. All right. Oh, Christ. Yeah, just saying. Work, it? <laughs> work. But give it a go at home, please. And quote now, gents. I have a quote um, by the lovely Vananda Shiva. And she says, we are either going to have a future where women lead the way to make peace with the earth, or we are not going to have a human future at all. Oh, that's very the change as well, isn't it? The it program? is. I love that quote. Isn't it good? That is powerful. Thank you. Um, well, what a lovely end to series seven. Hmm. So Sorry, I'm just <clears throat> still got some. Just take getting the last of the shore down. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So whatever you do this summer holidays, enjoy. Yeah. Stay safe, and yeah, keep sending us messages. Yeah, we'll still be on Instagram Ooh, and everything, yeah. won't we? We're not um, on threads. We can't be asked. Oh, we can't. We can't do with another social media no. platform. Um, but we'll still be on all the other ones. Um, so yeah, keep keep in contact. Ideas, comments, haikus, haikus. All that. Pocket lists. Yeah, we definitely pocket lists. So we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us September. Yeah. Oh, we've oh, got we, some oh, great oh, guests yes. lined up, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have. Full, full schedule. Mm. Um, we would love you to subscribe, favourite and review our podcast. It really does help us spread the word. Please head over to our Instagram page, Womenkind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts and watch us on our guests on our Womankind Collective YouTube channel. And lastly, you'll find all the links, recipes, guest details, and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign, the petition for menopause clinic in Devon, on the podcast show notes. That's there you go. go. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Yeah. It's a wrap and let's go and finish this. Let's go and finish the shortbread. We might might be a while. We might have finished it by <laughs> September. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone.